0: Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic, body-based practices with so many real-life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to BarryTesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir.
1: Today, I'm talking with Bernadette Annott and this is her official bio. She says, by day, Bernadette Anat is yet another annoying millennial working in tech. By night, she's definitely still an annoying millennial and the creator of a new financial advice video series for young people called Felicia's Wallet. She's currently working as a teen community lead at Instagram, which basically means she's tasked with knowing every teen trend all the time, forever. Her portfolio includes Work for Seventeen, Glamour, Shape, Scholarastic, and the Huffington Post, as well as teen advocacy work for the YMCA and video production for youth brands worldwide. So the reason I found Berna is because she sent me one of her YouTube videos. One of her YouTube videos, you know, called Felicia's Wallet, where she is telling us all how she was able to pay down $50,000 in debt. And she called one of the YouTube videos, they're all five minutes, which was so impressive to me. One was called How to Freakin' Budget, okay? So it was hysterically funny. It was so smart. It was educational. And did I mention it was hysterically funny? I laughed out loud over and over and over I even shared them with my nine-year-old son who also laughed out loud and thought they were hilarious so I am so grateful to have you here today hi Berna
2: hi thank you so much for having me I'm, it's sort of surreal because I sent you that video almost as this crazy Hail Mary and I've been following you for a while so to be having an actual conversation with like one of my original money gurus is very cool Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, when you sent it to me,
1: I'm not always in my inbox. My team handles almost everything. It, the timing was just perfect. I was there. I was looking. I had a few moments, a little pause. I saw your email came through. I literally, you know, clicked on the link to YouTube and was laughing out loud. Like, oh, my God. Oh, so I get in touch oh in thank moment. you. <laughs> and did you know it's, you know, okay. for my 9-year-old child, it may not be appropriate for all children, but... We, we we loved the humor. We loved everything about it. He loved it.
2: Okay. It's good to know, actually, that people are, are sharing these things with their, their nine-year-olds in the future. So I can, I can tone down the craziness.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. It depends on the family. It depends on the child. It was okay. It was really okay for us. So you have some really great stories to tell for millennials and for folks of all ages, you know, and... I'm really excited to interview you for this Money Memoir Series. So let's let's begin, okay, and, and see where we go. So I'd love you to share, as we're beginning here, a snapshot of work, family, life right now, and then we'll dive into some of the what is your relationship to money, you know,
2: questions. But if you can give us a snapshot of where you're at in your life. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm at a very, very interesting place in my life because um, my boyfriend and I just put in our notice to both leave our jobs, and uh, we're working until the end of the year, and then in January, we're actually both uh, traveling for actually an indefinite amount of time. Um, So we're leaving everything behind to travel. We're looking at about a year, uh, but we're starting in New Zealand and going to travel slow, spend about a month and a half in every country that we get to and work our way up to Japan. Um, so really sort of jumping off the diving board of a really interesting life transition, going from like very intense structure, nine to five job uh, into total question mark land, uh, but it's super exciting. And everything sort of revolves around that right now, like planning my own personal life, planning my money, planning our money together is all centered around this, big leap that we're taking soon so that's that's sort of the biggest update of my life right now
1: and was this a dream that had been percolating for a few months a year a few years tell me a little bit
2: absolutely so this had been for me this had been something i would wanted to do gosh maybe since college uh knowing that you know after college you are likely launched right into what is going to be your nine-to-five, what's going to be your job, how are you going to monkey bar from career to career to career. And I'd always sort of fantasized about working abroad, living abroad, or just sort of cutting all ties and traveling for a bit in a way that doesn't have anything to do with work or achievement or climbing a ladder or my career. And about a year and a half ago I was lucky enough to meet my boyfriend who feel the exact same way and had wanted to do the exact same thing. And so um, we had both sort of pointed our financial goals and our, our personal goals towards this. And we knew that there was a lot we had to get rid of in the first place. Um, we both had a ton of student loan debt. We uh, both worked full-time jobs. And so we decided to hunger down for the last about a year, a little bit over a year, and really point everything in ourselves towards leaving at the end of this year. And so this is something that's been sort of low boiling in my brain, but over the last year and a half has definitely been like, okay, this is finally a a goal that I can see and I'm running towards this in the distance. So it's all, it's all very scary and exciting right now.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. And was money at first an obstacle? I'm sure there was a few more of, you know, of everyone's ideas of if this is a good idea or if you should do this or shouldn't as you know, should you you should stay at your job. It was such a high profile job. Amazing job, right? And yeah, yeah, so it was absolutely. yeah, I know you got some of that, but also tell me was there an initial money obstacle or we can't do this because we have debt or how are we gonna pay for this? I mean I imagine that which we're gonna really get into a little more detail is was the impetus for you two to sit down and and really look at how you're going to pay down a significant amount of debt before you
2: before you commit
1: before you finally like
2: jumped off the cliff and mm-hmm. said we're
1: doing this and we're going to tell everyone and yeah. it happened yeah
2: yeah oh my gosh absolutely I think money was the first thing in our brain sort of knowing uh, we're both lucky to come from families and have friends who would we figured would be supportive. Uh, and we both traveled a little bit and lived away from home. So telling both of our families that, like, we are going to go live in New Zealand, maybe, I'm not sure, for a year, I don't know how long, wouldn't have been so crazy. But knowing that there was the hard stop was like, how are we going to afford this? Because you don't just go travel for a year uh, with a regular salary or you can't just decide to do this, something you have to really plan for. And we were both looking sort of down the tunnel of student loan debt. And we figured we don't want to travel, knowing that I have to pay Navient every month and he has to pay his student loan provider every month. Like I didn't want to be in the bowels of Fiji, trying to find Wi-Fi and pay my student loan payments and having to worry about spending on my travel life, but thinking like I have to save for this giant, giant expenditure every every month. It was just not not practical. We didn't want that's sort of not the spirit of that we wanted to carry into this trip. Um, We knew we wanted to get rid of our debt as much as possible. And then we figured if we are really aggressive with our debt for however long it takes, this trip will sort of be a celebration of having done that. Um, And I've been thinking about that a lot, about how we don't celebrate very much or there isn't a big sort of, people aren't necessarily throwing a ton of like, I'm out of debt parties or like my credit score is high parties. Um, But this felt like, A really good way to sort of celebrate being out of debt and so we both hunkered down and said okay well and this is a really interesting point in our relationship because we had not been dating for very long but we're like you know before we do this we both have to sort of come very clean with what our financial situation is he was like all right well I have $18,000 in student loan debt I was like great I have $34,000 in student loan debt okay let's breathe together figure out what that means um and then we started. And let me to ask build you about that. When
1: yeah. yeah, when in the relationship was that sad? Was that day one? Was that day ten? Was that day five, 20?
2: Oh yes. That's uh I, I would say it was probably three months into us dating that we we had sort of like dove pretty far into like I like you so much. Uh, it was very much like a oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with you want to prowl down your throat situation right when we met. And so these conversations were pretty easy for us. But we knew that if we wanted to do this, like, probably the number one thing is to be honest about our money and where we need to get. I was telling him that, like, my nightmare situation is that we make a big life decision together. We we decide to go off traveling and then come to find out you actually have a ton of debt or I'm being chased by the IRS and it can't happen. So it's like we need to lay this out on the table before anything crazy happens. So that was about three months in.
1: Okay. And you initiated that. That was you.
2: Yeah, it was. And, I mean, luckily he had sort of caught me in a time where I was starting to be more brave about my money and more honest with myself about where my money is. I would say, as of today, maybe like two years ago, two and a half years ago, I very much did not have a good relationship with my money. I ignored, if my money was a person, I ignored her at all times. I did not look at her in the eye ever. I just sort of, like, hoped she would stay with me while I was, like, spending on happy hour and spending on brunch and you know, I never peeked at my bank account, and it was, I was in a bad place. I was a freelancer in New York and barely piecing together um, my rent, and so fast forward to, like, a year and a half later, I met Peter. He had met me after a good sort of bout of, final like, discipline with my money, finally being disciplined with how I spend and what I do, and I think that one of the first steps of doing that was being honest, so it was almost, like, the brutal honesty I was using with myself. I was able to turn that on us and be, like, okay, here I am, like, I'm going to be bare about what's in my bank account. It's time for you to do it, too, if we're going to do this. Luckily, he wasn't terrified by that.
1: So, yes, that that means you're a good match, right, at that time, because he could have responded in all sorts of ways, all sorts of fast ways. Oh, yes. You know?
2: Um,
1: oh. What was your wake-up call? I mean, you're – Your original relationship to money was you're describing my old relationship to money as well, like don't look, don't see, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're we're not going to, we don't have a relationship with you, throw away our big statement. So what happened in your mid-20s that all of a sudden you decided to look at this, be brave about it, be more disciplined? What happened? Mm
2: -hmm. Totally. So I think it was a little bit, it was sort of the slow buildup, to a gong. And the slow buildup was, of my last two years in New York, I think I was around 23, 24, I was a freelancer. Um, I'd quit my job working in magazines, which, you know, wasn't incredibly lucrative, but it was a steady paycheck. Um, I quit that job and I decided to do freelance writing and video production and um, do some work for the YMCA that was sort of seasonal. And that made my financial situation just like absolutely get put into a blender when you're a freelancer and i'm sure you understand this very much you are constantly chasing after paychecks and sending invoice after invoice trying to sort of scrabble together a regular pay schedule but being freelance for the first time was completely failing at that all the time and so it was you know not wanting to be pushy about my money but also understanding that if i'm not pushy about my money i don't get my rent paid Um, And then there were, so it was a lot of a very, very, very bumpy road for about two years. And there were some moments where, like, I was having to sell, like, savings bonds I've had since I was a baby that, like, my great uncles bought for me when I was little. It was the only way I was going to scrabble together rent. And I remember just feeling awful about myself, just like, why? How have I put myself in this position that I need to Lego together money to pay my rent and to buy groceries every month? And yet, my friends want to go to brunch? Absolutely. Want another round at happy hour? Hell yeah. Want another round at happy hour? So I was just sort of spiraling out of control with money in a, in a way that, like, I wasn't checking myself about it. And then I think the gong was, luckily, um, I was asked to interview for this job at Instagram, and I got the job, and I the way that tech is, I, my paycheck was going to change completely. First of all, it was going to come regularly, which was, like, a whole revelation in and of itself. Um, and I realized I was finally going to be getting a big girl paycheck, something that could, if I made the right moves, could sustain me and could fill all of the holes in my debt that I had sort of amassed blindly and had been ignoring for so long. So, when I got the job with Instagram and I moved from New York to San Francisco, I realized like it was almost a very harsh moment for myself of like, Berna, if you can't get your stuff together with this kind of normal paycheck, then like you are beyond hell. Like this is. This is the universe being like, I am giving you the most, the biggest, most obvious lifesaver in the world. Like, get your stuff together, or else there is just no hope for you. And so, um, and my work being in in sort of teen programming and teen empowerment, and that typically does not pay well. That's usually in sort of the nonprofit youth work sector. I was like, this is an opportunity that I might never get again. And so if I'm organized with my finances, if I finally get my stuff together, like, I may be able to pull myself out of debt with this lifesaver. So that was sort of the gong moment of just, like, all right, the the universe couldn't make this any easier for you. Like, get your stuff together now or or else, basically.
1: So you were given a gift, and you decided to really fully receive it, you know?
2: And in order to
1: do that, you had to step up and, yeah, yeah, and start getting disciplined and start – learning about how to have a good, healthy, conscious relationship with this area of life,
2: okay? Yeah,
1: Yeah, because you could have just continued in that moment, like, now I have a steady steady paycheck again, hallelujah, and we're just Mm going to keep going wild. And it sounds like you just felt yourself getting more, you know, what was out of control, like your community, your friends were doing brunch, happy hour. That was all really fun and enticing and exciting and I imagine you still did that, but then you just had to start reining it in a bit, containing mm-hmm. it yep, a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was that hard? I think what happened was. That hard was yeah. Go ahead.
2: Oh yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. It was. I think what what it was was that I finally had I finally sort of pinpointed the goals that I wanted to hit, whereas before I think I didn't pay too much attention to money because I didn't have specific goals to define. I just knew that vaguely I should be saving. I should quote unquote be saving. And I should quote unquote be paying off my student loans. And my credit score maybe should be at some sort of number that I completely did not understand. And so once I was back to a city paycheck, I figured, you know, like the multitasking sort of money and all the big should obviously didn't work for me before. I think I needed to be a bit more laser focused on tackling one financial goal at a time. So you know, once I started working at Instagram, I looked at all my finances and I said, okay, you've got sort of three major holes um, in like your young financial life. You have $12,000 in credit card debt from New York, from just living big in New York and not caring. Woohoo. Um, you have no emergency savings because that never meant anything to you and you never knew what even an emergency saving means. Um, and, you know, I had always sort of treated it like a second checking account, which is not healthy. And then you have. in student debt, and to tackle all of that at once made me want to crawl into a hole and die, so I was like, let's figure out the most important, the scariest thing after some research, realizing that credit card debt is the thing that would sort of suck the life out of me the fastest, so I focused on that. Once that was taken care of, I focused on savings. Once that was taken care of, I focused on student loans, and having those goals and sort of seeing one mountain at a time to climb really helped kind of get my discipline together.
1: I love that because people really get stuck there. You know, they say, well, I want to put a little bit to savings. You know, some people call it emergency savings. I like to call it peace of mind uh, instead of emergency Mm -hmm. because I don't want to call in emergencies. But, you know, life happens, right, so peace of mind Mm -hmm. savings. But people get stuck there. They want to do a little bit for all. And some people do choose to do a little percentage for each one. But I love for you, it became so clear I'm going to do one at a time. And the one that's most obvious, which is the credit card debt, which usually has the highest interest rate, right, let's do that one first and then have the success, be able to celebrate that and move on to the next one. That, you know, that's so sane. Yes. That's really yeah. sane.
2: Actually, that's a very and What you just said about having the success and celebrating that and moving on to the next set, I didn't realize it at the time how important that was for me to have. And maybe it's just about being like the sort of like need that quick hit of like serotonin millennial, but it was so important to have, baby successes leading up to one major success and then moving on to the next mountain because there's nothing to celebrate. For me, there wasn't a ton to celebrate when I was just sort of like blowing money into five different directions. There was, there was nothing that I had gold for myself. So once it was like, I got this far in my credit card debt, little dance party by myself, this far in my credit card debt, going to buy a giant bowl of spaghetti for myself on (laughs) purpose. And then, you (laughs) know, once I finished off my credit card debt, then it was like, I'm going to take myself out for dinner. I'm going to tell my friends about it and celebrate. And mm-hmm. its I don't think we do enough celebrating of financial goals.
1: I agree. I agree. And it's not just millennial. It's all of us. It's Generation <laughs> X, Y, you know, baby boomers. We all need, or many of us, need the baby steps, you know, and then the celebration, mm-hmm. and then more baby steps and success and celebration, and then move on to the next one. You know, some of us can take big leaps, but a lot of it's it's in baby, baby steps, and then celebration, right? Yep. That's more yep, just absolutely. yeah yeah okay so let's let's shift into some of these questions that I'm going to be asking everyone to answer That's and nice. you've started answering some of them but let's see if we can go a little deeper okay and and also okay. um, fill out some of the details of actually how you pay down the debt and all of that um, in the last year or so okay because I know that will come up so my first question is. What is the main emotion that comes up for you around money? What emotions do you see frequently happening? Is there a combination or cocktail of emotions? And it sounds like there was where you were a few years ago, and there where there is where you are now.
2: Mm-hmm. The I would say the emotion that came up at first a few years ago when talking or thinking about money was total anxiety and avoidance. You know, just like money, who is she? Like savings, who is she? I have no idea. She's not nearly as fun as hanging out with my friends and, and drinking and partying and eating. Um, so the feeling was usually avoidance most of the time. And those, in those rare moments, a few times a month where I would open up my bank account, it was deep shame, just shame and the cycle of like, why, why are you like this? Why do you do this to yourself? This is your own fault. Um, money's not going to fall from the sky, but like you bleed it out, like it's endless. You know, it's, it was a cycle of like avoid, avoidance, 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 shame, avoidance, 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 shame. Um, and now I've sort of built up a different relationship with money now that it feels a little bit more like a sparring partner. Like money is, is something that I approach and it challenges me, but I sort of, I understand my own habits of money a little bit better. I understand the rules of money as it stands and the rules of paying off debt a little bit better and the rules of paying off of like interest rates and the way that money moves through savings and checkings. I I understand its movements a little more and it almost feels like this dance that I'm becoming more familiar with or like a sparring partner where like I respect the challenges that it brings to me and sometimes it surprises me and I surprise it, but it feels more like a challenge that I get a little bit more excited about now. Um, And I think that is because like we were talking about before, I was able to sort of build up one mountain at a time of financial challenges and then understand that I would I was overwhelming myself, thinking about all the financial problems I was having at once. So it was a scary thing that, of course, I would avoid. That's just, no one wants to, like, look at a room full of, like, people who want to fight you and be like, yes, I'll take you all in at once. Great. It's going to be awesome. Um, but when I started looking at financial goals one at a time, it was like, it was like one sparring partner at a time, if that makes sense. It was like one challenge, one person that I can't, I got to understand and sort of like move and build muscles with at a time before I moved on to the next. So now it, it feels a little more like bring it on like the, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing I will under, I'll eventually understand it. I'll, I'll equip myself with the tools or with the experts and the knowledge around me to try to understand it better and climb a little farther Um, because I now know that, like, the knowledge is definitely out there, and people are trying to sort of condense it for people like me. It's just you have to go seek it, and once you sort of equip yourself with the knowledge and the secrets, it's it's a lot less scary.
1: And this all happened just in, you know, two and a half years,
2: yeah? I I want to
1: give people – everyone's different. We all have different pacing, different timing, but your time frame was going from, you know, anxiety, avoidance, shame cycle, repeat, repeat, (laughs) over and over (laughs) – to um you know wake up calls and you know starting to identify some larger goals and then seeing what all the problems are but taking on the problems and the goals like one at a time mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. building resistance and I love how you say this you're taking on one challenging partner at a time one challenging spart- partner, sparring partner at a time not th- two not five. You're taking on one, and you're being very intentional about this, right? That you can actually shape it one at a time, yeah? Okay. -hmm. And it's happened within two and a half years. Obviously, this work is just going to continue and continue, right? But you've you've climbed quite a few mountains in a few years, yeah?
2: Yeah, I definitely have. It's been been an interesting... uh, it's It's sort of mini sprints, like, one at a time. So... For example, when I got to um, Instagram and I moved back to San Francisco and I realized that like, okay, credit card debt is probably the first mountain that you're going to have to climb. I was like, I knew I sort of calculated like, all right, if I need to take down $12,000 in credit card debt, that means this much payment over four months. Okay. That's too much stretch out to five months. Okay. That's still a little bit crazy stretch out to six months. Once I found the like sort of uh, comfortable, like goal setting time for myself, then to me it felt more like just put your head down, grit your teeth, and just do it, stick it out for these seven months. And always sort of – I almost used, like, my financial goal as, like, a shield to the things that would break me down easiest before. So if I knew that, like, credit card debt is my sort of weapon and shield for the next seven months, it's what I would use to all my friends. of just like, hey, you want to go out? actually know I'm in this credit card debt thing. Hey, why don't we take a weekend – to L.A. do some crazy stuff. Actually, I'm in this sort of, like, credit card diet debt thing for the next few months. And, like, you'll understand I'm trying to do this. Um, And that made it a lot easier to sort of parse out the time. And so once it was, like, credit card debt era was over, like, the next thing was uh, emergency savings, the next thing was student loans. And it feels like two and a half years went by very quickly because I was sort of eating it up in those chunks. So it's strange to think that it has been two and a half years, but it felt long, but looking back on it, it seems short as well. And I love
1: what you did. Um, There's an article that I'm always referring to by a woman named Hero Boga who writes, you know, the timing and pacing of when you pay down your debt, how much you do, um, and how it feels is so important. You know, it's so important to consider and you did. You know, you mapped out a few different scenarios and options and then said, how does this feel? What does this look like? And, you know, a few were just, it, it sounded like too fast, too aggressive. And when you hit upon one that felt doable, that's the one you went with. But you asked a lot of those questions and presented yourself with a few different options. Um, there, there was just a lot of quiet, sitting, thinking about about the pacing and how much he, each month feels What were your words or qualities, sane, doable,
2: possible? Yes. It felt, it was almost, it's actually a lot like what I learned from your blogs and your teachings of sort of figuring out, like, thinking about your money and then digging in and being like, wait, so how does, like, how does the weird little room inside of my chest feel about that? Does it feel squeezed the way that I used to think, I used to feel when I thought about money? Or does it feel like, you know what, that's reasonable. I could do that. Like, sort of how anxious do I feel when I think about that goal and if it caused a lot of anxiety and let's stretch it out you know luckily enough i was in this job that was going to give me a regular paycheck for an indefinite amount of time it's not that i was a freelancer anymore and i wasn't on any kind of deadline so if i needed to stretch a goal out by a couple of months i could reasonably do that and i have friends and family to support me along the way too so it was a lot of sort of thinking and feeling like okay does that does that seem right same like you said does that seem crazy am I going to hate myself in three or four months when I'm like, that goal is way too aggressive and now I have to hold myself to it. And if I don't make the goal, I'm going to feel bad. Um, and I knew also that, like we were saying baby steps before, that I need to, to go pretty easy on myself because I'm basically starting from knowing nothing and having very bad habits. So I knew that baby steps and, like, baby bites were the right way. And I needed to know I felt flexible and free inside of whatever – financial goals and boundaries that I gave myself, so it didn't feel like I was suffocating myself necessarily into a goal, but that I was sort of teaching myself good habits, um, as opposed to sort of, you know, like locking myself in a cage and wagging my finger at myself.
1: And you were doing body check-ins. That's what you were doing.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Yeah.
1: Body check-ins along yes. the way. Yes! And, and were there moments along the way when you said no to a friend, no, I'm doing this money, diet, credit card thing, you know, where you just said, screw it, I'm going to go out? Or was there any wiggle room in there? Or were you just, are you the kind of person that you set a goal and then you stick to it? Or were there some moments where you felt like, ah, I got to bend a little bit, I'm going to go out today and then get back on
2: track? Yeah. Oh, there were definitely moments where I was like, I think I want to bend or deserve to bend. Um, And, you know, since being more vigilant about monitoring my money it usually had to do with like a friend was in town and if that friend was in town if only for a little bit and they're visiting me in San Francisco like I feel okay splurging a little bit so that I invest in our relationship and I show them a good time and I mean I'm a Filipino American and the way that my family has always shown love and affection is eat 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 eat, and drink and let me buy it and let me give it to you and let me treat you let me feed you until you can't breathe Uh, And that was always sort of the thing that I let myself forge on was like, if, if I'm investing in a relationship or a friendship, and it has to do with like, with food, that is always the thing that was always sort of my like, quote, unquote, weakness, but I never felt bad about that. Um, I knew that I was on a schedule, I knew that I knew what it would take. And that always felt like the right sacrifice for me. And there were other sacrifices that I would turn down. For example, like my best, my three best friends from high school and I always try to do some sort of trip every year. And last year it was like, let's go on this like crazy Alaskan cruise for seven days and let's just like blow all this money on it. But I had to think like, okay, is, is that going to be fun while I'm thinking of all the money that I'm spending that's not going towards my financial goals? Is it something that I could, I could maybe hold off on for a year so that when I do do it, I don't feel that like tightness in my chest of like, oh, this is fun, but I'm spending so much money. no, I'm enjoying it, but I'm spending so much money, you know, like I don't have the anxiety wrapped around the trip as well, so there's some things I definitely have to be like, this is gonna be better when I'm in a better financial place, let's pass it for now
1: great, so lots of inner dialogue about how to make a good money decision, yeah. what are your values, what are your priorities at this time, what do you really want now what can you hold off on and you know for a year from now, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of throughout it, wonderful, wonderful. So let's let's move into your family a little bit. You shared a little bit about your lineage and being Filipino American, mm-hmm. and I so I have two questions for you, and they may they may connect. Um, which is one: What did you learn from your family about money when you were growing up in a positive or negative way? that you've learned over the last few years, or you're probably still learning, right? Um, and we could pause there, but my second question is about your lineage and um, how has that impacted your money story and your relationship to money in addition to food, breaking bread, dining, let me feed you, community. is such a huge priority where everyone you know, is, loves putting, you know, spending money on, right? So, mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit about your family and what you learned from them around money.
2: Yes. I'm so glad you asked that question because it's a conversation that I've only started to have with my friends and millennial friends around my age is, hold on, maybe this isn't entirely just us learning bad habits from each other, running around in New York and having brunch. What did we learn from our families. And also, how is that similar? Um, You know, I grew up in the Bay Area in South San Francisco, surrounded by a lot of other Asian American families and um, first generation immigrant parents. So a lot of the parents of my friends and my parents as well immigrated to America when they were young, um, met each other or came with their partner and then had us um, as first generation children. And so I found that the habits I found in my family are very similar to others. So What I realizing now, looking back at uh, the way that I grew up, you know, my parents were both born and raised in the Philippines. Um, They met here in San Francisco, and then they had a family. They had us, they had me, and my two older brothers. And we've lived a pretty comfortable life. We didn't want for a lot, but of course, my parents' first uh, priority at all times was paying for the roof of our head, having food on the table, and so we always had the basics and also, we, the funny thing, though, is that we never really talked about money ever as a family. Um, growing up, it was always about, we want you kids to do better than we did. We want you kids to be achieving. We want you to be busy. Um, we want you to go to all the extracurriculars. You know, we'll, we'll bust our butts to go to all the swim meets and the dance recitals. We'll bust our butts to drive it every practice and every rehearsal, Um we just want you to achieve as much as possible. And like the the, the main sort of message is, is like achievement and doing things. And looking back, it's funny, because we never, ever talked about money. Um, something that I found similar in my experience that I found similar to other, the experience of a lot of Asian American, also Filipino American families is that you, you do what you can to get all of the basics. You do everything that you can to make sure your family is great. Um, but sometimes when you, come into money or you get a bonus or, or there's something left over. Sometimes there's some splurging that doesn't make a total, that doesn't make total sense. Um, And I think it has to do with this sort of like, I've come to America, I've made my family and I'm going to make sure that my family has like really great stuff to sort of show off. I'm going to make sure that there's like TV in every room. Like for example, my mom always told me that when she was growing up, um, they didn't have a TV where she was in Mindanao in the Philippines. And they would go to their neighbor's house to watch TV through the window, and the neighbor would close the window sometimes. So when she was little, she made up her mind, like, I'm going to have a TV in every single freaking room of my house. My kids are never going to need a TV. Like, there's going to be TVs everywhere. So it was, it was, and as a kid, I was like, that's fun and exciting. But then looking back, I'm like, man, that's kind of a crazy spending pattern to sort of be internalizing as a kid. Um, and also, that's sort of where I learned the idea of, like, it really doesn't matter financially where you are. If someone's visiting you and your task is to feed them, you feed them hard. You spend all the money and all the food. You order absolutely everything. It doesn't matter. So that's sort of, like, those spending habits. I brought that into, like, young adulthood when it was, like, food and friends and drinks. It was, like, spend it up. Don't look at your wallet. Just have a good time. Um, and I realized that there weren't a lot of great spending habits I learned from my family because it was most of the concern was, like I said, achievement and sort of like taking care of your loved ones in that very sort of jovial, everybody eat, everybody drink way. Um, and so in my experience, I've had to sort of unlearn a lot of habits. I've, I, I had to sort of unlearn the idea that you, should, you need to be splurging on some, some things that are a little more showy and less functional. I had to sort of, teach myself how to regularly save and how to use credit cards in like a, a sort of healthier way. Um, and I had to learn that money is something that is okay to be talked about. I think my family sort of didn't talk about money because they wanted us to focus on academics and they want us to focus on achieving. Um, but I'm realizing like kind of like we said earlier, what I was talking about earlier in our relationship, it is really important to talk about money, even like the bad and ugly sides. Yeah. So, are so yeah, I have to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've
1: quite a few questions. And so one is, yeah. you, I imagine you weren't working, right? As a teenager, they didn't want you to work. They wanted you to focus on education and all the extracurricular stuff. And yeah, yeah. So so they they didn't have you work, right? Because some families, yep, are working at 15 yep. and 16, and you want to learn that, okay? Um, so that wasn't the case. And is there differences between your siblings? Did you each take on? different roles even though you were growing up with the same parents or you all slightly different do you notice any differences there in spending saving earning
2: habits yes absolutely Um, it's funny because my oldest brother actually was the one who was working at 16 he like worked at a Saturn dealership right when he turned 16 he wanted to he wanted to work and my parents were really supportive of it Sort of less so with the, my second oldest brother. Um, he didn't have that much of a drive to be working, and my parents didn't push him very much. And it's almost like once, it, once they had me, they were like, oh, no, 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 you are, you are academic. You're here to do all the extracurriculars. Like, your focus is not to work. Your focus is not to make money. That's our concern. Your focus is to get into a good college. Your focus is to get a good job. So it sort of morphed as the, like, siblinghood moved down. But it was sim- It was the same as
1: they wanted you to focus on education and on achievement and getting a great job. And it wasn't different because you were a girl compared to being a boy in the family.
2: Yeah, I, th- I know, now that I'm thinking about it, it might have been. I think it was a combination of, like, you are the youngest girl. You're the only girl in the house. You should be focused on achievement in a different way. Um, and it was almost like that, that sort of typical older sibling thing where it was like, well, you're the oldest sibling. Like, you need to sort of help to provide. And you are sort of setting the, the groundwork for an adult life. Whereas I was a little bit more like, no, 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 like, sheltered child. Focus here on your grades and do the dance things. And it's okay. Like, you don't have to live that hard of it, like, that difficult of, like, a work for your paycheck kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so my brain was definitely more tuned into achievement and performance. And it sounds like you're already starting
1: to review um, the positive and the negative of mm-hmm. what you've got from them based on where they came from and what they had to go through and where they grew up and the decisions that they made, like your mother growing up in the Philippines and deciding, you know, at a very young age, mm-hmm. I'm going to have the TV in every single room, you know. And mm-hmm. then to America, she made that happen, right? And yeah. And so that's what you were raised you were raised in um the reaction and response of her you know coming to America and you being the very first generation and them wanting everything for you right everything yeah. So you the positive is that you learned about food I mean for me this is this is my interpretation but um you know is is the food and the community and the feeding and the you know get, mm-hmm. and, and that is beautiful that is really, mm-hmm. really, really beautiful, and then more of a downside is more just of a dynamic, a pattern of you know, five TVs or ten TVs or a TV in every room, yeah. like just the, yeah. right, the extreme of that. Yeah.
2: Um, yep. Absolutely. For show and that, to prove
1: that, a point. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. No. Ex- exactly. I think the, the proving a point is exactly it. You know, it's I every day I marvel at what my parents and what so many parents and families do and that they pick up they come to another country and they build they build a family and sort of an empire from scratch and the reason that I'm able to do anything ever in life is because of how well my parents did and how much they did that sacrifice to create a base for us to build off of um but then it also becomes about you know their their struggle to build a base and everything that they've done to build this life for us, it's like, of course you want to show off how well you've done. Of course you want to make sure people know that you've done really well. One thing that also happened in my family's financial life that, like, we really didn't crack open or talk about much until years later was um, we were totally caught up in that sort of financial housing crisis. I think it was around 2009, 2010. We are one of, like, millions of families who – opened up new mortgages, bought new homes, and then had to foreclose and um, declare bankruptcy very shortly after. And that was a source of, like, very quiet shame in my family. And, again, just another sort of example of, like, we don't talk about the bad money parts. And also it, at that time it felt like the bad money things are something that the adults handle and that the kids should never be aware of. So when my parents were stressing out about that, it was noticeable that they always stress out about it in private and if they would talk about it or fight about it, it was in private. Um, even though growing up, like being young, I knew vaguely what was happening. I could tell that it was money related, but the message was like, no, 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 we don't talk about the bad money things and we certainly don't talk about it in front of the kids. Um, and that sort of, that was another signal to me of like money is something to sort of be hidden away and money is something to be dealt with privately, especially if it's not going well. Um, which is another sort of signal that I've had to understand and work through and see how I might approach it myself in the future. Mm. And that's really common,
1: right, whether you're first generation, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, that um, keeping this all so secret and hidden behind closed doors and not sharing how things are working um, with your children, right, in in age-appropriate ways.
2: Yep, absolutely. And I don't have children yet, and so I couldn't say, like, what is age appropriate, but it does make me think of how can you have conversations with your young children about money when your family is going through something that affects everyone without scaring them and also without sort of breaking the bubble of the invincible parent or the parent that is going to take care of everything, which which could be important to some families, too.
1: And do you remember anything else about that time for you? You knew this was happening, right? So it was mm-hmm. mentioned... Um, how did that impact you at that time?
2: Yep, absolutely. So I remember we would sometimes go to the other houses that we owned, and you know, my family was so excited about filling them with furniture and new things, um, buying things, making plans, and like these were houses that we meant to rent out, but, you know, as a kid, I was so excited to be like, this is my room and this is my space. And this is what I like to decorate. And um, this is where I stay when they come here. Um, and then I remember those things that we bought slowly coming back to our original house and filling up our garage and me not totally understanding why, like, why is, why is that giant painting that used to be in quote unquote my new room, like in the garage and why are all these things coming back? Um, why don't we go to that house anymore? How come we don't talk about it? And, I just remember this this sense of, like, something is reversing, something is wrong, but I don't know what language to use with my own parents to ask, like, why, what's going on with this house? Um, I remember my parents, you know, it was sort of that, like, movie shot of, like, them with, like, bills spread out over a table and talking very intensely about something, but it was all words I totally didn't understand, and... It was just the air of understanding of like, this is not my conversation to have, and this is not a conversation that they're going to have with me. So it was like, it just understand, like just trust what they're doing, leave them alone, because it feels tense. Um, I just remember the, the sort of physical reversal of like, so we're not, we're not talking about this anymore. We don't go to that house anymore. We don't ask why the like stereo system is sitting in our garage. We're just gonna, just gonna go with a flow. Like I'm just gonna keep doing what's expected of me, which is go to practice, go to rehearsal, get good grades. And not talk about this sort of low boiling anxiety happening,
1: and did you get a sense that you might have been too young to even process it in this way that you mm-hmm. know in, in a long life, there's ebbs and flows and um even with money, you know, even with you know that in a long life that we're gonna go through cash flow dips and we're gonna go through years where we're earning more and saving more and donating more, and then other years where we're just living within our means and other years where we have a big life challenge or transition. Did it give you that as a ground or did it scare you or did it create some
2: resilience
1: or are you still processing it?
2: I think in a way, all of the above, I think I'm definitely still processing it a little bit and understanding it in so many articles and documentaries that look back on that time and what happened it's funny because my understanding of what happened became more clear not because I had more conversations with my parents but because things like the big short movie came out and I was like oh that's what happened to my family and so many families that I know and then reading articles about what happened and why millennials are afraid to buy houses because of that I was like that's me I'm totally, like, it totally still freaks me out, the idea of buying a house, because, and I know intellectually that it really, you know, the market fluctuates and changes and cash flow changes, and you, you sort of have to time it right and be strategic about buying a house. It doesn't always necessarily mean that, like, everything's going to fall to the floor and you're going to find yourself bankrupt, but it's definitely instilled a fear in me of, like, if I make the wrong move or if, like, what happened to my family and so many other families, if you don't have the right information, if you are being sort of duped by people who want things out of you. If you are sort of, you become this like victim of what you don't know, this terrible thing can happen. And so that's definitely scared me and other young people just like, well, how do I know that this isn't going to happen to me? How do I know that this wave isn't going to return? And how do I know that there's someone out there profiting from what I don't know? I think that's part of what has Mm. Driven me to learn as much as I can from the very bottom about personal finance because I do understand to a degree that this happened to my family and to so many others because of just what we didn't know, what yeah. just like what we didn't get to research or what, what no, one, no, no one told us. So that's like really kind of driven me to, to investigate more,
1: right? And in all of that, the market goes up and down and the economy shifts yeah. all around, and that we can control, right? So that. And at yep. the same time, we can learn everything that we can, and we can do our due diligence, and we can study with mm-hmm. people with support and all of that, right? And still things can happen. You know, the market can crash, and things can happen, right? That's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. That's living in a world where there's change, and it's you can't yep. control everything, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, you can also... Um, take longer to make decisions or read more about how it all works right um, yes,
2: absolutely. yeah absolutely. I mean what was nice about coming out of that with my family was we of course had a sort of understanding of what was important what 's important was what we were thankful for was we stu- we still have a roof over our head, we have the original house that we all grew up in it became more of a central spot, and we still had that to fall back on and we 're grateful for that and so it's it 's good to be able to take those lessons in that way and and learn that things happen and luckily with with a support system around you whether that's friends or family or both you can move on and be better
1: yeah because and because and to be grateful right for what yeah. you were able to still have at the end which was your original family home some people didn't make it through with their original yeah. family home, right and what's really important and that's what does come out of those really challenging experiences in life and money right is what is really 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 important okay yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my husband and I rented for years and years and years until our 40s, until we were really ready, you know, to buy a home. Um, And that was just what we kept choosing over and over and over for all sorts of reasons. We weren't ready. We were afraid. I didn't want a mortgage, you know. Um, It felt like the right financial decision to rent for years and years. And then finally in my 40s, I was like, okay, I'm ready. And he's ready. So, yes. Right? There's also that. That was
2: so great to hear, too. I was just like. It, it is okay because I think there's a lot of news and op-eds out there sort of shaming young people for not being ready, for not being equipped, for not for being afraid and being scared. So it is always good to sort of hear a reassurance of like, you just you do it when you're ready, damn it. <laughs> you move for what feels right if you can.
1: Yes, I mean that's that's so much part of my teachings and my life. And you know, I think got I got married at 35. I had my first child. Four months before my 40th birthday and then I bought my home first home at 46 so you know we all have different timelines and that's what's really right for me right and we all need to listen to that and yeah a lot of us get caught up in what we're supposed to do at by this age or by 30 or in our communities mm-hmm. and you know and we hopefully can keep checking in with no what's right for us at this time yeah. what's right for us and what's not right for us yeah So, you know, one of my questions was tell me about a really challenging money experience you had and how did you overcome it and what did you learn from it? And you already mentioned one about your family and being in real estate and losing some homes and being able to keep your original family home. Was that a biggie or would you say paying off all the debt that you did and that you did? with your do you call me your boyfriend, your partner, your mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yes, yeah. boyfriend, partner all, okay, boyfriend partner,
1: all of that. Okay, boyfriend, partner,
2: all of that. Yeah. So <laughs> is it would
1: you say this is was a big challenging experience that you overcame? And how was it? And how did you do it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would I would say it's funny to think about my uh what happened with my family and our and the sort of housing crisis as a challenge because I almost felt like I watched it from the side. And I learned a lot of lessons from the side and so this covert way and also learned a lot from looking back and understanding the pain and the hardship and the lessons learned from my parents in a way that I know they never meant for me necessarily to have been hit by or to learn, but retroactively, I can see how, how and why they made the decisions that they made. Um, and the challenge there for myself was learning learning from what they went through and and understanding why I have certain hesitations inside of myself, because I sort of subconsciously got fear from that and and understood money in this sort of like fearful, shameful way. And so that was almost this like low boiling challenge. And then getting over student loan debt though, that was like, by the time I decided to tackle that with my boyfriend partner person, um, it felt like an exciting challenge because like we'd said before, you know, first thing was tackle the credit card debt. And that was my very first like financial success. that felt so good. And then it was putting together our a savings for myself to sort of backup or emergency savings. That felt great. So, but the biggest financial mountain was definitely paying off the student loan debt just because it is one, it's so common. It's almost like this fun, like trendy problem to talk about amongst young people. Like you're cool. You're, Totally normal if you have student loan debt. It's like fun to talk about how much it oppresses you, and like fun to talk about like almost like student loan Olympics. Like, oh, I have it worse. No, I have it worse. No, I'm going to be paying for my student loans until I'm dead. Um, and so carrying that around for so long, and then finally, you know, working for so long for a few months and finally getting over it was so. It was so. It's triumphant, but in a way that almost like the the satisfaction from it was a slow burn as well. It wasn't like we hit the button on our last student loan payment and everything was great and we cried and we felt like joy. It was more like now we have to learn to not live with that debt and getting a paycheck the next time and not putting like 60% of it towards this, filling up this crazy black hole was like, it was sort of like a, a blinking realization that was like a very slow burn every time. So the challenge was great and, and, a big mountain to climb, but the come down has also been a strange experience as well. Okay. So that happens a lot,
1: you know, when someone starts making a lot more money than they ever had, Um, or they're getting a paycheck suddenly, you know, um, after freelancing like you were or Mm -hmm. I was, or they fill up their group program with a lot more people than they ever imagined, Mm -hmm. right? So they're stepping Mm -hmm. into a whole next level of, Success you know of more income um, and it feels different or it's a different kind of energy, or it just feels different than what you've been feeling or experiencing for two and a half years okay. or even a lot longer than that, you know for some people, so mm-hmm. that is brand new territory, and it's one of, it's a question that's asked all the time what do I do you know what do i what do I do now? I'm mm-hmm. kind of freaking out. Um, I don't know how to calm down in this. This is kinda of scaring me, what do I do? Um, and just supporting people, um, as you're saying, the come down, you know, or the the stepping into the new phase where sixty percent of your income for it's for two and a half years or for many, many, many months, yeah, was was not yes. being not being put in for the past, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Was now mm-hmm. gonna be
1: going towards Now
2: in the future, yeah. The future, exactly. It's a little more joyful now because it's going – it was a quick turnaround. Like once we had put in our last chunk of paycheck towards student loans, we knew that the next chunk of paycheck was actually going towards travel savings now. So it is now building up towards this fun and joyful and very lucky and very privileged thing that we get to do. But after we had been filling up this hole that we had been carrying around and millions of people carry around all the time. So different goal now, new new mountain to climb.
1: But you had to set down that baggage and that like you're a part of, mm-hmm. you know, this clan of folks that, as you're saying, like are totally oppressed and complaining and yeah, about student loans and how awful. And and you're not a part of that clan anymore. You were yeah. right.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's a tight knit and very big and like heavily memed and talk about on the internet type of clan and it comes with its own sort of pride and it's funny that once i started talking about it with other young people or posting about it i had a lot of reactions from friends of just like i wish i had these problems <laughs> like when will i ever be able to post something like that and you know when i would ask i would ask about like student loan payment advice on facebook or with friends it's like i'm not even asking like my friends are like i have not asking those questions those are questions i will never ask those are like those are quote unquote like payment issues that I don't, I can't even begin to understand. So it almost like created a risk between, Mm. you know, my friends who are starting to pay it off and trying to figure out how to pay it off. And the other ones that are just like, I'm so many. And I was one of them just like riding that minimum payment wave and hoping a bomb hits the like papers that keep all of our student loans and they all disappear Mm. one day. You know, it's like, it's a very strange, it's a strange place to be. It is.
1: I'm kind of uh, binging on Scandal right now. I don't know if you've ever seen it,
2: but <laughs> they
1: would have taken care yeah. of that. They would have blown up the, you know, all that paperwork. All that, you know. Exactly. They would have, so they that's sort that. the wave I was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that, that, that would be that such that a fantasy a of for so that. Beautiful. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. two more questions for you. So, it was Felicia's wallet—a way to document, share, have fun with, and play around with. um, you know this big thing that you had to tackle and did you conceive of the idea like while you were in it or once you were actually towards the end of it and tell tell, tell us all a little bit more about what you're sharing in there
2: yes okay so Felicia's wallet the reason i called it Felicia's wallet and I explained this in in the very first crazy video that i sent to you is um you know there's the phrase by Felicia which was made popular by Movie Friday, and it became this like meme of just like by Felicia is this very just like peace out see you later or you're annoying kind of feeling, um, and it became this sort of joke on the internet of just like who is Felicia she's always going somewhere she's always saying she's always saying bye we're always saying goodbye to her she seems so cool um, for some reason I got really into that joke and I like the idea of calling my budgeting system Felicia's wallet because you know Felicia's always going somewhere so let's figure out how she budgets um, but rewinding from that Felicia's wallet was originally just my way of journaling where I was with money right before I left um, New York to come to San Francisco. And so many things had not worked for me in terms of budgeting at that point. Like a million apps had not worked for me, like mint and something with a squirrel on it and something else with an acorn on it. it was like all these different apps that work great for other people for some reason did not work for me. Um, one thing that has always worked for me in my life that had nothing to do with money was journaling. I had always been a prolific journal or just like so many college world notebooks I write my feelings out way better than I speak them I can write and write for hours and so I was like what if I start journaling my money feelings um so I opened up a google doc and just started writing out the very first thing was like okay I'm actually doing this giant road trip to move from San Francisco to New York how am I going to pay for things from stop to stop what do I need for gas what do I need to rent the car how much is that going to take um I'm picking up friends and, like, meeting them along the way. What do they owe me? And sort of just using this Google Doc to write it out with words as opposed to an app or a spreadsheet that was just, like, not a language that I spoke at the time, or really not a language that I still speak. Journaling is very much how I how I move through life. Um, and then I just started building and building and building on this Google Doc. You know, the very first document, if I scroll all the way, I think it's, like, 80 pages now, but if I scroll all the way down, it's the very basics of this road trip. And then it started to be like, okay, road trip's over. Who owes me what? This person didn't pay me yet. This person did pay me. What do I have to do to organize this money? And then I thought, what if I did this every single time I got a paycheck? What if, like, every time I got a paycheck I said, okay, chunk of money, here's what I'm doing with it. Here's my, here's my thoughts and feelings about it. Here's the debt that I have to pay off. And I just started sort of building and building from there. Felicia's wallet just became this way of talking to myself and talking myself through every time I got a paycheck or every time I had to make some sort of large uh, payment or, you know, fill up a debt or some of some kind. Um, And now it has sort of turned into this budgeting system that I'm thankfully able to sort of synthesize and share with people. Um, I've created like a a Google doc template so you can see what I started off with. And so you can see exactly what goes through my head every time I do get a paycheck, how much of, how much percent I put towards a savings goal, how much I put towards utilities, how much I put towards what I call um, my ratchetry money. So being ratchet, just doing whatever I want, eating money, friends, whatever. Um, And now it's this sort of shareable, like, plan that I can give to other people and talk through and it's very I mean I think it's very much still at its, its beginning stages it's this sort of messy budgeting system that worked for me and now I'm just sort of trying to seed inspiration in other people and see if it works for them yeah
1: I love it I mean there's a lot of people who go to Mint and Quicken and iBank and YNAB and on and on you know and it, does, yeah. it doesn't feel intuitive. And they're always like, what's a system that's intuitive? I'm like, ah, it's different for everyone. It's completely, mm-hmm. you know, I learned QuickBooks by someone holding my hand, you know, <laughs> while I ate lots of dark chocolate and stopped for a private, <laughs> you know. And yeah. that's how I learned it and love it, you know, and love how I can organize my categories in the little chart of accounts area in such a clear, mm-hmm. you know, clean way and or change the names mm-hmm. and all that. Um, but I love yeah. that you – None of that worked, and you came up with your own version that does integrate journaling, which you love, and being able to document feelings and thoughts and what's going on for you and all of these moments when you're spending or bringing in income, and then starting to incorporate a spreadsheet you know, with that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, there's Definitely. a lot of people that will want that, that will need that, that will be just a style that, that works for them.
2: Yeah, so i think that was exactly what you said is that was that moment of like i need to find the language that works for me and i never thought that like journaling whatever translated to money but there it goes and i'm i'm super curious to see what other languages work for money for other people in the future just because you know we're not all spreadsheet and Quicken and mint people but that's exactly it
1: well also what you did was you listened to your intuition and you said yeah there's all these systems out there that i'm supposed to do or that work for other people and they don't work for me, mm-hmm. and I keep trying to figure that out, but it's not working. So you then took your own intuition and your own style and created something that does work for you, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing, you know, that you did that. Um, so two more things. Are you going to be continuing Felicia's wallet while you're traveling, and or are you going to be documenting your travel so that we can all see you?
2: Yes, definitely. So Felicia's wallet is going to be interesting. It's going to be – that's sort of the next challenge for me is that my budgeting system is always sort of hinged on you got a paycheck. This is what you do with it. You know what you're going to do with the next paycheck, and you know when you're going to get them. This is now throwing all that out the window and really kind of putting Felicia's wallet to the test because I don't have any planned income, at least for the first few months. Um, And it's going to be more spending and experiencing than anything and really trying to budget budget a lump sum of money that's going to sort of like slowly deflate without necessarily adding into it very purposely at first. So I'm going to continue. I think what I'm going to do is going to continue to check in with myself every other Friday, which is typically when I got a paycheck and when I would sit down for an hour and do Felicia's wallet. I'll sort of do a money check in with myself, like where are you? What have you spent on? Where has your money gone? How does that need to be adjusted in the next two weeks? Because that's sort of the spirit of Felicia's wallet. is just sort of doing, I think you've called it before, very like a, a money date, like mm-hmm. setting a money date for yourself to sit down and go, okay, where are you right now? And then there's going to be a future uh, date where you can sit down and do it again. So I'm hoping to do that. And my boyfriend and I are actually um, starting to build a travel blog, which is still under construction, but it's going to be, we're going to be able to share through pictures and video, and video production sort of like my first love, um, the crazy shenanigans that we get into. Of course, we also hope to like digitally detox at least the first month, okay. but eventually we'll we'll get back on the grid and, and be very annoying in, in people's inboxes and feeds again.
1: Wonderful. And Felicia's wallet is all on YouTube, or will it be part of this travelogue as well, or it will be housed in a separate place? Do you know?
2: Um, yes. Felicia's wallet is, right now, just lives on YouTube, on my YouTube, which is HeyBerna. Um, it lives just in video format and the Google Doc template. And um, I think we're going to be documenting most of our travels on Instagram as well. My Instagram is HeyBerna there. If we decide to really go crazy and figure out a whole travel blog name and brand ourselves like all the cool kids do out there, um, I'll definitely let you know. But for now, we're just keeping it to um, our, my usual YouTube and Instagram channels. Great. Berna, thank you so much for
1: sharing the stories that you have for reaching out to me and for it being perfect timing and for sharing Felicia's wallet and just for connecting with me. I loved it and I'm really looking forward to staying in touch and to following your channels and to uh, your travels and your channels. And mm-hmm. also, you know, to keep sharing Felicia's wallet. I don't think everyone should share Felicia's wallet with their kids, but with my my child it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so watch it yourself well, first Mom. and then you can decide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if some of the things are appropriate, which we love over here, and yes. is there anything else that oh is that the to be your tongue or burning or feels like you wouldn't you you would love to share um before completing so that we we don't leave this piece out of your money story
2: sure I think i I feel incredibly honored to have been asked to be on this, so thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And I also want to commend you for bringing a millennial voice onto this, because I think part of the problem that I've found in sort of like blindly finding my way through money advice is there are very few young people who are willing to talk about the struggles that they're going through and sort of be open wounded about like, this is how I suck. And this is how I'm trying to not suck. (laughs) This is how I'm terrible and how I'm trying to be less terrible. And so it's exciting to, to be one of the millennial voices. And I, I hope that younger and younger and younger generations get obsessed with money as well. So it's not something that you're, that I'm like me sort of broke upon in my late 20s. I I hope teenagers geek out about these things really soon because it's important.
0: Thank you for joining me with this money memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the art of money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.